HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're turning an eye to food at its trickiest, from imitation olive oil to the pretensions of 3D printers. We were just doing like a birthday party for one of the employees, and we printed a steak just for fun. You know, a grape Jolly Rancher isn't going to satisfy your craving for, for grapes. So, I mean, in a sense, it kind of multiplies the, the sensory qualities that we can love in the world. So basically, you culture the cell in a bioreactor, it grows, and then ultimately, at the end, you come out with a piece of meat. Tune in to Meat in 3, available wherever you listen to podcasts. to Life's Banquet, a podcast about all things edible, spreadable, and pourable with me, your host, Zara Tangora, and me, Nicole Bailey. So, Nicole, uh, as we all know, it has been, obviously, this is like a silly show, and it's a funny show, and hopefully we will have some fun and laugh and try to bring you guys some joy, but, you know, this is a really, continues to be a really just tragic time, and world history. Um, and I know we were just talking before the show about some of the things that have been, you know, making us both feel sad and, you know, you brought it up before the show about how you were feeling very affected by all the things that were going on, particularly like some things in Indiana. And I just, um, yeah, you had mentioned that there was a couple shootings in Indiana in one week and that's awful. Do you want to talk to us about that a little bit? Well, there was just, you know, when, I'm sure you know this if you listen to the podcast, but there was a mass shooting here in Indianapolis last week. And when it happened, I texted my friends. I was like, we got our mass shooting. That's what I said. Mm. Because it feels like it's just literally it's going to happen in every single city in the country forever. It's just always going to be like this. And it's just really upsetting. And then, of course, you know, hours after the Derek Chauvin, Chauvin, Chauvinist pig, whatever his name is. Um, I think that's how it's pronounced, yes. <laughs> he, you know, that child was shot in Columbus, which is right next to Indiana. Um, they shot her four times. Yeah. Uh, it's really fucked up shit. So, yeah, it's just been, it's like hard to live in the world right now. And also, 
the we had three inches of snow Ooh. last night. So that's Yikes. rude. It's like, rude and scary because it's just not supposed to snow. Well, it has snowed. It snowed in April when I was still living back in New York City. That's I'll true. Never you do get the occasional one. Yeah, but it's been like 10 years or maybe like eight years. I'm just like, of all the years, of all the years, this is the year that we're going to have a late, late spring. I know. Why? It's, Why does it have to be this way? It's cruel. <laughs> it's cruel. So I decided to look up some topics on the internet to take our minds off the fact that we live in a never ending pile of shit. Um, <laughs> Why don't you tell us how you really feel? No, I'm just kidding. It's true. It is a never ending pile of shit, per- personally and like, professionally. I said this earlier. It just feels really hard to live in the world right now. And, and yeah. it's that it's for me as a white lady, you know? So, right. For people that are not white, it's just, I can't, it's just fucked up. Anyway, it's so, extremely fucked up. And just to add on to that, you know, the, we're so conditioned to just hearing stories in the news, whether it be about black lives being taken by the police um, or mass shootings or a variety of other awful, awful things. And it's so normal to, I think it's like our way of even just processing and being able to like kind of go on to be like, Oh my God, that's horrible. Have you heard about this thing? And, but to take a moment to really, empathize to feel what it would feel like to see your child being murdered by police um or on television or having it happen whether it's televised or not it's so it's so bad you know um members of of your community your town um you know as black people I can't imagine what it feels like for the black and brown people in this country to exist in this world. You're right. It's hard enough to see it um, as a white lady. And I just, you know, want to echo what you said in terms of it being really, really difficult and to try to do our best to take those moments as hard as it is to actually really think about what that would feel like. Um, And the, to be in a mass shooting, to be a black person in America, um, you know, it's, it's, it's terrible. So thank you for so, addressing that. And uh, yeah. And since we have not been able to figure out how to straddle the world of the series and the world of the completely ridiculous, I looked up some stuff to take our minds off of the pile of shit, which is, I think, becoming, I think why people are turning, tuning into this podcast, turning in and tuning into this podcast. Turning is to in and find tuning out, out. <laughs> what's going on. This week. With, with ben, ben Affleck? Affleck. Yes! yes. <laughs> Thank God. Woo, something something had to lift our spirits, and I knew it would be Ben. And yeah. his love so, for spirits, because he's an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Sorry, uh, it's true. <laughs> hey, look. Okay. I'm just saying too soon, okay? <laughs> um, so I found some stuff about Ben that was boring this week, like about how he has conditions for whether or not he'll return to be Batman or whatever. Mm. But I decided to go with this much less reliable website called GossipCop.com that tells me... ACAB, okay? Including Gossip Cops. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, That tells me that 
Ben Affleck and Jennifer Aniston, or sorry, Jennifer Lopez, are getting back together, or at least wow. reconnecting. Hmm. Um, and they have a photo of them from not currently, because of course this is probably a lie. Um, but it says that um, they potentially have rekindled the romance, and wow. I think it's true. You know, you do. They really. Yeah, I do think it's true. And the reason why is because here's a couple of other articles that Gossip Cop, and I didn't read these articles. I'm just telling, from the titles, from the headlines of these articles, I can tell that this is a very reliable, well-researched journalist website. So um, this article is called, Is Jennifer Aniston Quitting Drinking to Date Brad Pitt Again? (laughs) Let's all hope so. I hope that Bradley Cooper is mentioned somewhere in this to follow up on last week's episode about it was our Bradley Cooper hate episode. <laughs> I got some pushback about that from our listener. You did from what from the one listener we have. We have a yeah. was it Bradley Cooper himself? It was not Bradley Cooper himself. We have a Bradley Cooper fan. Said, they said that he's the most attractive person <gasps> they've ever seen in real life, or something along those lines. Interesting. I have a feeling that whoever said this was actually just Bradley Cooper wearing like a Groucho Marx glasses and funny nose. They weren't in person. I didn't see them in real life. I'm just saying they were probably doing while they were writing a letter. It works even if you're writing a letter. Uh, This other article, well-researched, hard-hitting journalistic article says, Dakota Johnson allegedly telling Gwyneth Paltrow, you're not my wedding planner. <laughs> Wait, who's she marrying? I don't understand. Oh, she's marrying Gwyneth Paltrow's ex-husband, Chris Martin. Chris Are they Farley. engaged? Apparently, according to the gossip cop, Chris. She's marrying a skeleton. <laughs> um, I guess Dakota Johnson, who is in my mind only seven years old, is gonna marry Chris Martin, who is like fifty-five. But whatever, it's fine. The kids when her can... mom met Don Johnson, she was only fourteen. Ew. Are you serious? Fine. Yeah. How old was Don Johnson? I thought they were like the same age, Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. No, he was 22. Oh, Don. Yuck. Not cool, Don Johnson. They were together Swanson. for like, they, I know, it's a little, it's a little weird. But they were together for so many, 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 many years. Yeah. And I have to say, Don Johnson is very hot. But if he, in fact, is... Really shady. I don't think they started dating when she was 14. I don't know. It's a tricky gray area. It was the 80s. Mm, fair enough. Call into the show, John Donson. <laughs> or maybe it was even, maybe it was even the 70s, you know? So sure. if it was the 70s. There's no laws it's then. It's totally fine. It's like in today's money thing. Like in today's money, 14 in 1970 was actually 18. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's sick. I do not, con- not condone this. I'm just <laughs> fucking around. Um, so the other thing that I forgot to mention when I was talking about how much horrible stuff is happening to me, including the snow, is that I got a vodka, like a locally made vodka. I've been wanting to try their stuff and it it was on sale Mm -hmm. at the Meyer. Sure. And, um, so I whipped myself up a vodka soda and I just take a little, you know, like a taste of the vodka because they're like, on the bottle, it says this vodka is delicious, which I think is a weird thing because vodka generally kind of yeah, delicious neutral. is like the last thing you're going to use to describe vodka. 
this vodka yeah. is made from potatoes. That's like a better so, way of describing it. It was a red flag. It should have been a red flag because this vodka is disgusting. Really? So, How bad could it be? It, Worse than Georgie? Dude, it doesn't even taste like vodka. It tastes like it would cross between grappa and moonshine. Oh. Like, it's... Like, you know how corn whiskey that's not aged is clear? Sure. Puts a little hair on your old chest. Grassy flavor. It's it's fucking disgusting. And I really feel bad because it's local. But I am so pissed because I bought a whole bottle of this and I can't even drink it. Like, I can't even, like... You can't hide the taste with some crystal light? No, the flavor of it is so overpoweringly... Like, you know how grappa tastes? Like, it's like disgusting grappa picture that i actually looked it up online because i was so upset and this website was like wine lovers will love this vodka because it's made from grapes and i'm like wine lovers shouldn't be looking for a vodka that tastes like wine doesn't make any sense that's true this world is backwards uh brandy like why it's so bad i i it's disgusting i wish someone would have warned me are you drinking it right now (laughs) I, can't, I made a vodka soda, but I can't even drink it. I'm just looking at it. Um, when we were in high school, we used to get, like, um, pints of Georgie vodka and, like, drink them. Also, like, this dr- vodka is expensive, okay? It's not even fucking Georgie from Walgreens in the plastic bottle. In the plastic bottle. But we would, like, drink them, like, during school. And I'm like, that's, like, <laughs> that's like Ben Affleck behavior. <laughs> You just, like, drink fucking Georgie vodka all day at school? Sorry, Mom. Good thing my mom doesn't listen to this podcast anymore. She, what? She wouldn't care. <laughs> anyway. What but, did you mix it with? Um, I don't even remember. I think, like, we used to get these big, like, deli iced teas, and sometimes we'd pour it in there. Or sometimes just, like, take straight shots of it. Of hmm. Georgie vodka. And we'd have, like, town... People from the town, I guess, would buy it for us? I don't know who would buy that. Or maybe somebody had a fake ID. Very weird time. I'm thinking of one person in particular, this guy, Jesse Rosen, I think would always buy it. He must have had a fake ID. And this is also a gentleman. I hope that he's doing well now. But And he was funny enough, but he was also a guy who would spit everywhere, including like in his house, in his like room. Like, just, like chewing tobacco? No, he would just like spit like all the time. No, that's wrong. <laughs> I know. Kids are the fucking worst. Teenagers yeah. are the worst. They really Including are. myself. I was a really um, disagreeable teenager, to put it kindly. I was a very nerdy teen. Really How nerdy into. were you? Tape in between the middle of your glasses? No, I was like listening to Enya in the marching band. Mm, that is nerdy. Did you get a lot of wedgies? No. Did you get any? Have you ever gotten a wedgie, like a bad no. one? Where you've been hung up I've by your underwear? A uh, wedgie ever. <laughs> Can you imagine? Someone <laughs> hanging you by your underwear? Terrible. No. I mean, the underwear would rip, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, well, who's making that strong of underwear that can hold a human from a door? I don't know. Mm. That, that, Nicole, that is kind of an unsolved mystery, wouldn't you say? I would say that. Mm. And that's interesting that you're talking all about nonstop about <laughs> unsolved mysteries because... <laughs> That's today's topic. It is today's topic, and I have to tell you, my topic is so exciting, and there's so many twists and turns. I can't it's wait. Freaking unbelievable! I have to. We should probably dive right in because I have so much to tell you guys. Let's get into it. Um, Are you going to tell us? Is it the mystery of how many licks it takes to get to the center of a tootsie pop? 
No, that mystery has been solved. Oh, has it? How many? I think, what? According to the commercial, it's three. One, two, three. Oh, wait, one, two, and then you crunch into it with your sharp owl's beak. You must have an owl's beak to make that work, though. (laughs) Yeah, or just regular human teeth is fine. Do you ever, wait, one more thing about high school. Did you ever dissect owl pellets in high school? What are owl pellets? They're dried balls of owl vomit that have, like, tiny vole skeletons in them. And you have to, like, take the skeleton from, like, the rest of the dried vomit and then reconstruct the skeleton of the vole. Because they eat no, whole voles. Cool. You can get owl pellets. You can order them yourself. <laughs> Do it at home. We, um, this is something that's weird about me. Um, we dissected a frog. Yeah! Worst, worst nightmare. But I, the frog has eyeballs that are hard like marbles. No! So... For some reason, I kept the frog eyeballs. They're like teeny tiny, oh. uh, like I am yellow, aghast. yellow clear marbles. Oh. They're like mar- they're like so much like marble. They're hard, and I kept them in formaldehyde in my room in a jar. Why? Because you were a nerd, and that's why you got so many wedgies. Because you and your fucking dish of fr- frog eyeballs. I can't I I even trying believe to be like, this. I think I was trying to be edgy. So this is. <laughs> Ugh. This is how you try that when you're a nerd and you listen to Enya. I'm triggered. Also, I love Enya. I love so. Enya a hundred percent. I I got Enya on right now. Just <laughs> and she's here. Um, do you know Enya is one of the highest grossing? Like she's made the most money of a musician, and she's never been on tour ever. Really, really, never been she's on never, tour. Never performed. You know, that in itself is an unsolved mystery. (laughs) It's an interesting thing. Do we think she's even real? Well, she is real because she was in, briefly before she became Enya the Solo Artist, she was in another band. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, moving on. No, I want to say something else about Enya (laughs) (laughs) on our food podcast. That bitch is rich and she doesn't even have to go on tour. What's her secret? Call into the show, Enya. (laughs) So I want to talk to you guys today about something that is loosely related to food, but is very much an unsolved mystery. Can't wait. It's called The Icebox Murders. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> spooky. Oh, spooky. I got this information from Eustonia Magazine mm. and... A blog called Here's the Fucking Twist. Pardon my language. They're Canadian. Ah. Okay. So, you are in Houston, Texas. It's June 23rd, 1965. Okay? Okay. Picture this. Um, The police, ACAB, receive a call from um, Fred and Edwina Rogers' nephew. So, Fred and Edwina live in Houston. They're 81 and 72. And the nephew's like, yo, I haven't heard from my aunt and uncle in a while. I swung by their place and everything's locked so I can't get in. So I thought I'd call you fellas. Help me get in instead of just breaking it on my own. Okay. Um, The police were like, no problem. We're going to kick the door in because that's what we do best. Unnecessary <laughs> violence. Um, They kick the door in 
They couldn't find... There was nothing... The house was really messy, but the nephew was like, that's because Fred and Edwina suck at keeping house. Mm. Um, so this is fine that their house is a mess. Um, they don't find... There's no one there. Um, for some reason, the police decide to open up the refrigerator. And inside the refrigerator, they found stacks and stacks of washed and unwrapped meat. Hmm. Washed and, and unwrapped. Also, spoiler alert, this... Or not spoiler alert, but trigger warning. Whatever it is. Uh, this is going to get kind of graphic and disgusting in a minute, so be careful. Okay. If you're eating. If you're sitting down and eating. If you're doing your weekly Sloppy Joe <laughs> to listening to this podcast, <laughs> please set it down. Set it aside. That's funny. That's what my that's what my stepmom made for dinner was Sloppy Joe. Okay. Really? So... They didn't think it was unusual because they they thought it was from a pig slaughter. So they thought they had, like, taken a pig from the farm or whatever and <clears throat> chopped it up, stuck it in the fridge, as you do. Without even putting any plates underneath it? I mean, who do they think Fred and Edwina are? Are they that slobbingly? Slobbingly? Well, it's hard to put plates under. If you butcher a whole pig, it's going to, you know, you don't always have that many I plates. Guess. Especially in the 60s and there was, like, a plate shortage. That's so strange. A plate shortage. <laughs> So they just assumed it was a pig slaughter, but then they were like, oh, let's open up the crisper. And inside the crisper was two heads. One was Fred's and one was Edwina's. Oh, no. Um, so they were like, oh, this is not a pig in here. <gasps> oh, this no. is the rest of their bodies. It was human meat. Yeah. Yikes. But like washed, neatly placed in the refrigerator yeah. and bloodless. Uh, they determined that Edwina had been shot in the head. And that Fred had been beaten with a hammer and his eyes had been gouged out. Oh, and I bet um, you probably wanted to put, grab them and put them on your <laughs> table. And uh, Sorry, not funny. No. Uh, then they assume that the bodies were taken into a bathroom nearby and drained of their blood, chopped into chunks, and then placed gently in the refrigerator. The... Organs, including the sex organs, were found in a nearby sewer. Uh, when I first read that, I didn't fully comprehend it, but this other article clarified that was because they were flushed down the toilet. Oh, so they took all, all the, the organs. organs were flushed down the toilet. That's I mean, which I guess in the sixties you think plumbing wouldn't be able to take like a human liver. Of course, I mean, or, and a penis I, and balls. Yeah. I mean, most people. I think like that are, would go right down, but because like a penis is like the shape of a turd. A penis probably would go. I'm very glad that we told people to stop eating sloppy joes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just feel like you know, in this day and age, they're like, don't even flush toilet paper down the toilet, right? Or like yeah, a tampon. Or then you have like places that are like, don't flush any pads down the toilet, and you're like, why would I? Why would I flush I mean, a pad? Why would I wear people a pad? Have. Huh? That's why. People have done it. That's why those signs. I there. know. It just seems like, it seems obvious. Don't flush a pad down the toilet. It's a huge piece of, like, plasticky, like, I don't know. It's, like, yeah, meant to clog a to- toilet. The dry weave's not going to go down. Um, <laughs> dry so, the other thing is that the whole house was very clean. Like, there was no blood. It was neat and tidy in terms of bloodlessness. Mm, Obviously, mm-hmm. it was a messy because Fred and Edwina were bad housekeepers. Mm, that's um, probably why they were killed. So there are no no blood except for upstairs in the attic. They find a keyhole saw 
that is bloody. Now, a different article that I read said that the keyhole itself was bloody, but I think that this is actually this, the keyhole saw, because there's a picture of a cop holding a keyhole, keyhole saw in the a crime scene photo. There, it turns out that their son lived up in that attic. His name is Charles Rogers, and he was a recluse. He was 43 years old. Uh, he was nowhere to be found, but they did find a bloody keyhole saw in his room. Mm. So they immediately are like, this guy probably did it. Um, but a little background on Charles. He was supposedly a genius with an intense interest in ham radios. Oh, I thought you were going to say ham. I was like, now this all makes sense. <laughs> um, he spoke seven languages. He had a degree in nuclear physics. Whoa. And he was a pilot for the Navy in World War II. He also worked for Naval, Naval Intelligence. Um, so this off. is like all signs point to CIA here. Yeah. Um, once he was discharged from the Navy, he became a seismologist for Shell Oil. Also, mm-hmm. maybe a little suspicious. Um, and in the 1950s, he was allegedly involved in something called the Civil Air Patrol. I don't know what that is. But he met a dude there named David Ferry, who may or may not have plotted to assassinate Kennedy. <gasps> it does go uh, all the way to the top. You're right. <laughs> so... Essentially, what happened is they they became they did a nationwide manhunt once it was discovered that he was missing and his parents were dead, and they never found him. So, and as far as I can tell, the people have been dead for about three days when they found them. So he only had a three day head start. Well, I mean, if he was uh, in the CIA, then it would make sense how he could have disappeared without a trace. Well, also Mexico is right next door to Texas, so it could have been that. But so right. there's some a little bit more information here. So nine years after he started working at Shell, Rogers mysteriously quit his job and moved in with his parents, which is odd. It is right. Um, you would think he would have had like a lot of money. Maybe yeah. he just really loved his parents. Could be. Um, <laughs> However, he moved home and he became a recluse. The neighbors reported never seeing him. Like, they literally never saw him. They weren't just like, we never see that guy. They're like, we did not even know he was there. Wow. Um, he lived in the attic and he only communicated with his parents through notes under the door. I don't know how we know this information, but that's what. The, but all the articles I read said that, that he would not come out of his room. Wow. Um, Is there a bathroom up there? I don't know if there's a bathroom, but they did find a hot plate in his room, so he was, like, cooking his meals in there. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, Maybe he saw some shit. I mean, I'm just like, but he had to see his parents. Like, if he, unless, there wasn't a refrigerator up there, so he had to, like, go downstairs and get, like, the beans or whatever. Maybe they just flicked beans, uh, no sexual innuendo in- intended in that, <laughs> but maybe they just flicked <laughs> beans underneath the door, you know? Maybe yeah. they just had yeah. only flat foods, like matzah. <laughs> And lasagna sheets. <laughs> Definitely a possibility. Um, so this all is unusual, and this has led people to speculate about some things. Uh, one of those people wrote a book called The Man on the Grassy Knoll, mm. which is a really interesting 1992 book filled with Kennedy assassination conspiracy. And it alleges that Charles Rogers was being C- C- full CIA and continued to be CIA all through the 80s. 
Um, but why would have his parents been killed then? Hold on. Get okay. There. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so curious to solve this mystery. So <laughs> they, this book says that he was a CIA agent. Um, he was one of the assassins of John F. Kennedy. Um, they say that he impersonated Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico City prior to the assassination. Um, and that he is one of the three tramps. So the three tramps is one of the conspiracy theories about the JFK assassination. Yes. Um, so, so they said that he was one of the three tramps along with Charles Harrelson, who is Woody Harrelson's dad. Right, right, right. Who's like in prison um, for murder now, right? Or yeah, we- there's a whole podcast about him actually that I started to listen to. I couldn't really stick with it, but it's really interesting because Woody Harrelson's brother basically is like, so my dad was like a hitman, probably. Right. Um, so they say that Charles Rogers, Charles Harrelson, and another guy Charles were arrested. In, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Were arrested in no, this guy's name was Chauncey, actually. Chauncey Holt. Oh, were okay. arrested in Dealey Plaza right after the assassination. So they're the three champs, according to this book. So we think um, that maybe Charles Rogers could have potentially assassinated president have been one of the three tramps assassinated president kennedy got on the lamb and basically moved back in with his parents to start a sitcom <laughs> about yes. living in the attic no uh so the book alleges that he had to kill his parents because his mom was eavesdropping on his secret cia phone calls and knew too much um this book has been widely criticized um, because none of the facts are verifiable. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. Um, a different couple decided to investigate this murder independently starting in 1997. And they wrote a book called The Icebox Murders. Um, what they think happened is that Charles did know people in the CIA because he worked for Navy Intelligence and he worked as a seismologist and whatever. Uh, but he probably wasn't CIA himself. A likely story. Uh, they say that his parents abused him his entire life and continued to do it while he was living with them as an adult and that they were taking all of his money and basically they were con artists. So Ooh. Charles actually was the owner of the house that they lived in. Okay. Not the parents. And the mother had taken out multiple loans against the mortgage, um, which is interesting. And the other thing is that his parents had been forging his signature on documents basically to defraud him out of his money and, and real estate holdings. Uh-oh. That's not good. So, uh, combined with the abuse that they were maybe doing to him, that's a motive right there, right? I mean, 100%, uh, yeah. They, this couple who wrote... The Ice Murders, they think that he used his powerful ham radio friends. <laughs> uh, is that statement an oxymoron? I don't know, man. I don't even know what a ham radio is, to be perfectly frank. It's just a, it's a radio made from a ham, obviously. It's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, it's like you can make a battery out of an orange or something. Exactly. You just stick an antenna in the top of a ham, and then you okay. dial it, dial, use the bone part as a dial. <laughs> A cooked ham, like a honey-baked ham, or like a raw ham? No, a cooked ham, obviously. You can't make a radio with a raw ham. Come on, Nicole. They think that he used his radio friends to covertly move to South America, where apparently they all, like, live or something, and that he was actually killed in a wage dispute with miners. Not 
underage people, but like cult members. Oh, okay. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. I don't really know how they figure out about this wage dispute. It's pretty interesting that they chose this very specific way for him to die. Um, yeah, that is very specific. But he was declared dead in 1975 in absentia um, so that his estate could get dispersed amongst his family members. And the murder remains unsolved. He is the only suspect. And oh, he that's remains a good unsolved mystery. Missing to this day. Yeah, it's really interesting. This sounds familiar. I think I've heard this story told on like another podcast, but I'm glad that you yeah. refreshed my memory about it. Yeah. I haven't um, really been on a true crime kick. I kind of got over it basically, but mm. this kind of refreshed my excitement. It was just really interesting to go back into that true crime world. Totally. But well, um, yesterday we were talking, we were chatting about like what we were doing and like a lot of unsolved mysteries are about crime or, or aliens, of course, but there's like some yeah. food related crimes. Like, right. You had contemplated doing the burger chef murders. Mm-hmm. I thought about doing the yogurt shop murders in Austin. There's but... also that maple syrup. Oh uh, yeah. Heist that we talked about. There's the maple episodes. syrup heist. Yep. There's a, there's a lot of murder that is associated with food. And then of course the Codfather. but we already spoke about that on another episode. Mm-hmm. We did. The Codfather. <laughs> That's funny. It is funny. Cod fraud is a big problem. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Okay, let's take a very quick break. Um, hopefully this episode will be brought to you by like America's pig farmers. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or maxi pads. Who who knows? Okay. Bye. Come back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we're back. Thank you, big pig farm for sponsoring <laughs> this episode thank you ham radio thank you big ham radio <laughs> <laughs> so i have a tale for you now i feel like the story i'm going to tell you is one of the most infamous unsolved mysteries of all time if not the most infamous unsolved mysteries of all time um i'm gonna just quickly tell you a couple things about the year it happened first i got Almost all my information from Wikipedia and also from a very good article in Slate by Heather uh, 
Schwedel. I can't tell you the title. It will give away what I'm doing. I'm going to take you to the year 1975. It's the year that uh, the main character in your story was declared dead. Uh, The average (laughs) cost of a house is $39,000. Of a new house is $39,300. The Vietnam War ends. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine? The Vietnam War ends. The first ever blockbuster movie is released. It's called Jaws. And Tiger Woods is born, your favorite golfer. (laughs) He's born in 75? Yeah, he's ancient. Oh, I thought he was older than me. I mean, I thought he was a he lot is. older. <laughs> you are born in 1980. Um, yeah. So also, someone five years older than me is not ancient. He is ancient. Like, he's covered in dust. So he's an ancient alien. Another thing that happened in this year was that a one Mr. James Riedel Hoffa was declared missing. It was the last day he was ever seen was on July 30th, 1975. Um, so James Riddell Hoffa was born on Valentine's Day in 1913 in Brazil, Indiana. Do you know where that is? Is that near you? Uh, I, I do know where it is. It's not super close to me. Okay. Um, he was born in Brazil, Indiana, and he eventually gets over to Michigan where he spent most of his life. And he was an American labor union leader who served as the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters from 1957 until 1971. Nicole, what do you know about Teamsters? They're the last remaining union. <laughs> They're a huge union. I think there's like 2 million people in the Teamsters union. And uh, uh, that's all I know. It's a lot. So you, I'm not going to get into unions, but um, we need them. We need more more unions. It's a way for people to be able to be protected. You know, in some of these unions, they they have historically allegedly been been infiltrated by the mafia. Um, should the mafia exist, which apparently it doesn't. Um, <laughs> anyway, but this te- the, in this era of the Teamsters Union, there was some mob activity. So from an early age, Jimmy Hoffa was a union activist, and he became an important regional figure in the IBT by his mid-20s. By the I year, night, he was a union hero. He was a union. I mean, yeah, that's why he was such a hero. He was the president of the Teamsters Union for forever. And he was very no pro-union. I think, like, his reputation was, like, besmirched by um, what we're going to talk about in a minute by, like, him having to go to jail and stuff like that, which also involves the Kennedys. Um and he was corrupt. He was certainly corrupt, but he was, you know, a union hero. Yeah. Cool. Maybe the biggest, one of the biggest union activists of all time in this country, in modern history. Um, Hoffa became involved in organized crime from the early years of his teamster work, a connection that continued until his disappearance in the year 1975. Do you know much about Jimmy Hoffa? Or, like, did you, were you unfortunate enough to have to see the Irishman? <laughs> I did not see The Irishman. I don't know much about Jimmy Hoffa other than the jokes that were everywhere. Like, oh, you're going to find that sock after, you know, you're going to find Jimmy Hoffa before you find your lost sock or whatever. (laughs) Exactly. And that's probably where all the socks in the world go. Wherever Jimmy Hoffa is, his ghost is a sock fiend. Um, So anyway, he was uh, convicted of tampering with a jury in... Um, 1964, an attempted bribery and conspiracy and mail and wire fraud in two separate trials. Now, um, when Kennedy came into office, 
I don't know if you, I'm sure you know this, but he put Robert Kennedy in as the AG and Robert Kennedy's whole thing was to like, um, you know, get rid of the mafia and get rid of corruption and stuff like that, which is ultimately why at least Robert Kennedy was killed and probably JFK as well. Um, that's my theory. My JFK theory definitely leads back to the alleged mafia. Were there were there to be a mafia? Um, no, I think that the CIA did Jim did John. You know the best theory that I've heard. The one that's the most compelling to me is I. Uh, I think I heard this on last podcast on the left, but they were talking about a book that hypothesized that what really happened to JFK was that the Secret Service was out very late the night before in Dallas and they were all extremely hungover that day and when they heard the first shot go off like he was shot and the governor was shot um but that it wasn't the shot in his head and what caused a shot in his head was like a new person in the secret service was riding on the back of a car and as the shot fired he got scared and he like because he was so hungover and out of it he and he had been like throwing up when the car jerked, he was in back of JFK, and they say that he accidentally fired his weapon and delivered the shot that actually ended up blowing off the president's head. Oh, right. You told me that before. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. I mean, really, like, who knows? That's actually probably the biggest unsolved mystery of all time, if we're going to be honest. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, he was imprisoned in 1967 and sentenced to 13 years. In the mid in mid-1971, he resigns. Um, as president of the Teamsters Union as part of a commutation agreement with uh, Nixon and was released later that year. But he was but Nixon like barred him from union activities until 1980. But he was like very, very unhappy about this and basically like without getting too much into it, tried to sue Nixon. He really wanted to get back into the Teamsters Union. And although he was like beloved, they also like were over him. They were like, yeah, they didn't want him to be there anymore. Um, so anyway, as I mentioned, Jimmy Hoffa disappears July 30th, 1975, and is believed to have been murdered by the mafia. Um, Hoffa planned to regain his leadership of the union, and it was met with opposition from people in the mob, including Anthony Provisano, who had been a Teamster local leader in New Jersey and a national vice president of the union during Hoffa's second term as president. And Provisano and Hoffa had once became once been friends and then they became enemies and they had a feud when they were both in Lewisburg in the sixties. Um, and Provisano was a capo in the New York, uh, based Genovese crime family. What's a capo? A capo is a captain, a capo, major, a capo, capo regime. Mm. Um, so like a captain. Have you watched the Sopranos? Yeah. I, mean, I don't remember that part. Okay. Why I talk about what capo means. So like the different, <laughs> like, you know, they'll be like, Hey, I'm a captain or I'm a cop or whatever. So, it just means you're basically, like, the boss of your, like, little crew within the family. Right. Okay. Okay. So there were two other figures that became involved with him, and they were Anthony Giacone and his younger brother, Vito Giacone. Um, so he, Jimmy Hoffa goes out. He's arranged, like, he's supposed to meet up with Provisano and the Giacone brothers. He arranges it a couple days earlier. They have like a meeting and they're supposed to have another meeting at the Malchus Red Fox restaurant in Bloomfield Township. Uh, it's a suburb of Detroit. They're supposed to meet at 2 p.m. So I just want to like quickly mention that the Malchus Red Fox restaurant sounds like an incredible place. It's like a super old school place that opened 
in like the early 60s and they had like French onion soup and, um, you know, shrimp cocktail. You'd start your dinner with like a, you could get like a tomato juice as your appetizer, Mm. which I always think is a funny, like weird 60s thing. And they had linguine with clam sauce and pasta primavera and then eggplant parm listed as a pasta entree for some reason. But um, they ended up closing in 1989. Um, Anyway, so he felt comfortable going there. He he knew the Red Fox restaurant because it had been the site of the of his son James uh, Jimmy Hoffa Jr.'s wedding reception a couple of years before. Okay. So it. anyway, now oh, I wanted to mention to you that now this place is called Andiamo, the Red Fox. After it closed, it got bought, and it's called Andiamo, and it's like the most cheesy, like over the top, like hilarious Italian American restaurant ever and I just highlighted one <laughs> menu item that I thought you would think was funny linguine con punte de manzo aka <laughs> linguine with beef tenderloin tip pasta peppercorn dusted beef tips extra virgin olive oil sweet roasted garlic truffle infused pecorino romano cheese baby what? peppers and braised greens for twenty six ninety five. beef tips and noodles? Like beef and noodles? Yes. With peppers and greens in there? With peppers and greens and truffle. And f- it's just a lot going on. But I think it speaks volumes for what's going on at this restaurant. Yeah. Well, I would probably eat that, though, if someone ordered it for me. I mean, I'm <laughs> making it tonight. It's, I'm doing all Hoffa-inspired dinner for myself, which is going to include ice cream for dessert, because that brings us to what I want to talk about mostly, which is Jimmy Hoffa's alleged obsession with ice cream. Okay. He... Couldn't get enough of this sweet, creamy treat. <laughs> packing his mouth full of it. Um, okay, so 2019 movie, The Irishman by Martin Scorsese, is based on Charlie Brandt's book, I Heard You Paint Houses. And paint houses means, um, for anyone who doesn't know, means that you, you know, are a hitman. Um, ah. Yeah. So in the movie, Al Pacino's character eats four Sundays in the movie, which is a lot. I think it's like an intentional part of like illustrating that Jimmy Hoffa was obsessed with ice cream. He eats four of them in one city? No, he just eats four through a three and a half hour movie, which is obviously like uh. beating us over the head that this man loved ice cream. Now, there's some truth to it. Like there is, as I'm going to like highlight, some people did say he really loved ice cream. But Martin Scorsese wants us to think that he wanted to marry ice cream. <laughs> okay. So Al Pacino... That it was not a platonic relationship. He liked it more than a friend. Okay. So Al Pacino says of eating all this ice cream, I never get sick of ice cream sundaes, he says. I love them too much. I think they use some kind of yogurt, though. But I prefer the ice cream. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, because if he, at his age, I don't think that he could eat that much dairy. I know, I know. They're probably take like... Take after take? Take after take. Ice cream after ice cream. Well... Anyway, then I just happened to look up the next Google predictive thing was like, how much did Al Pacino get paid for the Irishman? Do you have any guesses? Uh, probably like, so it's four hours long. I would say $30 million. <laughs> he got paid $20 million to be in the okay. Irishman. And I actually like almost gagged when I saw that figure. And I just would like to remind everyone quickly that we talk a lot about um, corporations and billionaires being greedy. To me, this seems, and I'm not trying to throw shade at, at Al Pacino. I, he could be a philanthropist for all I know, but like, how, why are we paying these people so much money to be in movies? Because they make the studios so much money. I know. It's just like, it's, 
I mean, I in that movie, Easy Riders and Raging Bulls, they talk all about how the, um, maybe it was some other book I was listening to, but anyway, um, about how it just kind of is a snowball. Like, I think it really started with, like, Jack Nicholson, Paul Newman. They were some of the first ones to request some of these ridiculous salaries, but that's a lot of money to be in such a bad movie. It was really unwatched. I found it to be almost completely unwatchable. I did not have any interest in watching it, period, so I never did. I mean, they do this whole thing where they try to make, uh, I don't know, 76-year-old Robert De Niro look like he's, like, 25. <laughs> it's very weird. Oh, they CGI him? Yeah, but it's like, just get a different actor. He's nowhere near 25. It's like in that movie The Natural where they try to make Robert Redford look like a teenager, but he's, like, in his mid-50s and he has, like, terrible Yeah, but he does not have CGI. The CGI thing that they do, they do this a lot in the Marvel movies where they make, for no no real reason... They have CGI moments where someone's face is just CGI'd young onto their old body, and it's very upsetting. It's, it's not like, cool. It's like watching the Polar Express. <laughs> like that level of upsetting in terms of looking at weird, yeah, TV movie humanoid things. Like I think I would have actually liked the movie more had they not done that. It wasn't like it was a bad movie and it's a very interesting subject and all the actors are incredible, but that just like really put me off. I'm like, I can't watch this. Um, I think they also CGI changes eye color, right? Yes, yes. It was the whole thing. I'm like, the whole thing felt creepy. It didn't feel authentic. It like, it really took me out of it to be honest. Um, I watched the whole thing through when it came out and then I tried to watch it again yesterday and I was like, I don't want to watch this. Um, <laughs> so... Frank Sheeran, who is uh, Robert De Niro, who's Ed Sheeran's evil twin, um, (laughs) he's the guy who Robert De Niro played in the movie, and he recalls about the real Jimmy Hoffa. For $3, you could join the inmates for lunch. Wednesday lunch was spaghetti meatballs. Jimmy loves spaghetti meatballs. I would give Jimmy my meatballs for a treat, and Jimmy loved ice cream, too. Isn't that adorable? You could go eat with the inmates, and you had to pay $3? Yeah. Yep. I wish you could still do that. Yeah, I know. It would be it would be nice. Um, elsewhere in the book, he makes some less plausible claims, uh, the, and I heard you paint houses, um, that he would go to the local ice cream shop. This is Jimmy Hoffa when he was a kid. That the reason he loved ice cream so much is that he would go to the local ice cream parlor each night to pick up ice cream for his mother, who, quote, ate a quart of ice cream every day. What's a quart? That's bigger than a A quart is four pint. cups. It's two pints. Oh, well, that's fine. You have one for breakfast and one for lunch, and then you have a sensible dinner. And a sensible dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Hoffa, how do you do it? In 1994, a column in the St. Petersburg Times reports that Frank Ragano, a former mob lawyer who wrote a tell-all book, told the crowd at a bookstore, quote, Jimmy Hoffa was the cleanest man who ever lived. He never had a drink of liquor in his life. He never had a coffee in his life. He didn't smoke cigarettes. He didn't womanize. Uh, he just loved ice cream. He also recalls <laughs> a Saturday night in Chicago when Hoffa bought a group of high-living men to a soda shop for chocolate ice creams after, like, instead of taking people out for drinks, which is kind of <laughs> cute, if you ask me. Oh, man. Never coffee. What's wrong with coffee, though? Jeez Louise. I know. Um, in 2015, Chuck Gordy, a reporter who covered organized crime, wrote a column in which he notes that the Michigan restaurant where Hoffa was last seen was right across the parking lot from an ice cream shop called Sanders. So I guess the speculation is, did he ever, did he get a final ass ice cream before he was taken off and killed? 
They probably have ice cream at the Italian restaurant. Like, well, they never went in. They never went into the restaurant. So he's waiting out for people uh, in the parking lot. And he was last seen in the parking lot at like 3.30. And they saw him get into a car. I mean, they knew who it was. They, they, they know that it was these guys, essentially. And they don't know where his body is. But, you know, obviously they, they know don't. That, so why did the mob not want to... Why did the mob care about the unions? Well, it's all about pension. It's all about money, right? So it's like a lot of MOF people who are in the mob um, use, like, make sure that they're in the union so they can get, like, contract. They're like, oh, I'm a contractor. So they can have a W-2, right? Sure. It's like a legitimate way to have a a job. And so then within that, there's, like, a lot of wiggle room for corruption, for, like, making sure that they have pensions, for, like, swindling money out of the union funds. It's like, you know, I mean... So the, wasn't Jimmy Hoffa, like, working with the mob then? He did mail fraud. That seems mob He was working with the mafia, but also, I mean, I think there was enough to go around. I think that, like, you know, doing that wasn't necessarily frowned upon by anyone except for the law. So why did they kill him then? Because he wanted to get back after he got out of jail, he wanted to be back in charge of the Teamsters Union. But the the guy who he had a beef with, um, Proven- Provenzano, um, okay. was like, we don't basically they just didn't want him in there anymore. They're like, your time is over. Provenzano wanted to be the head of the Teamsters Union. And it was just like. He was doing all this stuff. He was causing trouble. He wouldn't just let it go. If he had just let it go and just gone on to, like, normal civilian life, he would have been fine. But he just, like, couldn't live without being in charge. Probably fueled by ego. So then he got got whacked. He was a pest. He got whacked. (laughs) He got whacked. Look, we're talking about the mafia here, which I would also like to say I've been asking you to do an episode about the mob. You're like, no, I'm not interested. And yet, look, here we are. Full Yeah, I didn't even know what a freaking... Captain was El Capitan. Oh, Captain, my Captain. El I didn't even know what that Captain was. Morgan. Um, His middle name is Riddle. Yeah, Riddle. Exactly. Wrapped in a rhyme. Wrapped in a body bag. Wrapped in burlap sack. Buried at the bottom of the ocean. Okay. In two, in so tw- do they? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. In, tw- in 2006, when authorities were searching for Hoffa's body in Michigan, a local bakery started serving a special Jimmy Hoffa cupcake topped with chocolate made to look like dirt with a zombie hand sticking out. <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> oh, that's... <laughs> I think that's incredible. <laughs> um, also in 2006, a Detroit free pep, the Detroit Free Press publishes um, the Hofax memo, a 56-page 50 report prepared by the FBI for a January 1976 briefing on the case at the FBI headquarters in Washington. Although not claiming conclusively to establish the specifics of his disappearance, the memo records records a belief that Hoffa was murdered at the behest of organized crime figures who regarded his efforts to regain power in the Teamsters as a threat to their control of the union's pension fund. As of 2019, digs are still periodically conducted in the Detroit area in search of Hoffa's body, but common a common theory among experts is that the body was cremated. No, they're still looking for Jimmy Hoffa's body, but not all the other like missing non-white. Exactly. Women they won't look for in, they gone. won't look for indigenous people. They won't look for like missing teenagers, but they'll in continue Detroit, to look like, for come on. Yeah. There's so many probably unsolved mystery dead bodies, but that's we a great don't even point. know about them. 
That's a very good point. Exactly. And I mean, to use the resources to keep looking for, I think it's just like an ego thing. Somebody wants to be like, we found him. But like, you know, that's the thing. When you get killed by professional killers, there's a very good chance that they're going to make it so you never find the body. And we already know that he was killed, but you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, really they, do, this, they make you swim with the fishes, right? <laughs> they do make you take a swimmy swim with a little fishy fishes. That's how they say yeah. it though. Um, yeah. So it's like the most notorious unsolved, infamous unsolved mystery of all time. Yet it isn't really because it, it is basically solved. <laughs> yeah. And who we cares where his body is really? What's the difference? He doesn't care. He sure, no, he definitely doesn't care. Did people ever speculate that he ran away? Or did pretty much everyone assume from the beginning that he had been murdered by the mom? Well, I actually asked myself the same question before. I said, Zara, do you think that he could have run away? <laughs> <laughs> did he have a ham radio? Did he have powerful <laughs> friends from his ham radio business? He, he ran away and he ran over to Texas and murdered those poor people. And put them in the fridge, got a ham radio, <laughs> and now he's with the main character of your story. They're probably together, relaxing on Charles a beach. Charles Rogers and Jimmy Hoffer. Hoffer. <laughs> Jimmy Heffer. So they probably were secretly dating, and they had to figure out how to, you know, keep their love a secret. Sure. And so Jimmy's like, I'm going to pretend like I was killed by mobsters. You... Kill your parents because they are trying to keep us apart. And, like, let's go use your ham radio friends to go down to South America, baby. (laughs) Exactly. Now we've solved it. Both mysteries. You heard it here first, folks. Nicole, do you have a top three favorite unsolved mysteries? Hmm. Well, I do. I am really endlessly interested in the Burger Chef murders because they happened here Mm. in my hometown. Um, They did happen before I was born in the 70s. Um, yeah, I think that that's, maybe not my, it's weird to say it's my favorite. I think it's one that I'm always like, what happened? Right, your most, the ones you're most, that pique your interest the most. The thing about it that just really, like, goes through my mind is that they, you know, these four kids were working at a, a burger chef, um, but for some reason, all four of them left the premises and were all killed, like, in the nearby woods, which is really... I know, it's like, really perplexing. Makes it seem like it's more than just a robbery, right? But we may never find out. There is another, I think there's a podcast about it by a person who does crime podcasting here in Indianapolis. Um, but I haven't listened to it. And she, it seems like there's like some scandal around it. Like she got access to these police files because this, so basically, you know, once a cold case becomes a cold case, they get reassigned to people depending, you know, like the new person comes on and he, they're like, you get this cold case. So this new guy got assigned to this burger chef thing and this podcaster reached out to him and for whatever reason, without clearing it with his supervisors, he gave her all this like never seen before information um, that he was basically not allowed to give her. Uh, and so... Yeah, the police were like, she's not allowed to have this. I don't know. So I haven't listened to the actual podcast, but that's the word on the street. Um, Yeah. Any other mysteries that you love? You know, the one mystery that was really interesting, I saw like a meme about this. (laughs) It was like, everybody 
in the 80s and 90s obsessed with the Bermuda Triangle and now no one ever even mentioned I was going to do triangle. the Bermuda Triangle but there <laughs> was no way to link it towards food there was nothing because any food that goes near the Bermuda Triangle as we all know is lost forever disappears yeah it's the greatest so, mystery of all time what is I it I love the Bermuda Triangle I just I love that that was like all you ever thought about in the 80s and yeah. then now you don't ever think about it so I know like that's fine um, and then there's also, so UFOs, I, I'm pretty firmly in the not that there are not UFOs that we have encountered here. Oh, interesting. Um, but, but there is, um, a UFO sighting that happened, um, I believe. Like the other day in, there was one. The sixties. Yeah. But they think that's the CIA trying to put us off the trail of Ooh. what they're actually doing, which is putting drones around so that they can spy on us. Um, but so basically this sighting was interesting and I can't remember the details. I'll probably have to look it up and talk about it more on the next episode. But essentially it was in the sixties and, um, or no, I guess it was in the eighties. It was in the eighties and there was like a sighting, multiple sightings were reported all over in like California. And one of the people that saw it was a pilot and one, the pilot is Kurt Russell. Oh, my God. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, so Kurt Russell reported, like, seeing these... He was flying his... Captain son, Ron? Believe that he's flying with his son. I don't know which... Like, he has a son with Goldie Hawn, but he also has, a you know, Goldie Hawn's son from previous... Oliver also, Hudson, like, yes, of course. My favorite um, Hudson. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what But they have done. their son, Wyatt Russell, um, yeah. whatever. But... Yeah, so he reported, like, amongst many other people, reported seeing this, this phenomenon, which is widely considered by people who believe in the UFO thing to be, like, one of the ones that potentially actually could have been. I believe Kurt UFO. Russell was involved in this. It couldn't have been in the 60s if, if Kurt Russell No, was I said there. it's the 80s. Oh, the 80s. I'm sorry. Pardon. I, was like, I think I was it's like, in the 60s. No, I did it first, but then I was like, no, it has to have been the 80s because got it, one got of his it. sons was alive. Yes, yes, yes. Got it, got it, got it. Those are three incredible mysteries. My number one, I'll start from one mystery that I'm most obsessed with, is the JFK assassination. 100%. Um, I'm also very interested in who stole the cookies from the cookie jar. Yeah. Not, not me. It wasn't me. Couldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> then who, though? Then who? Um... And then I guess the other mystery that I am most, you know, really interested in was Ted Bundy and George Bush actually (laughs) reversed people, which is a a conspiracy theory, but to me, actually an unsolved mystery. Um, Right. Because they look exactly like. Now, folks, if any of you out there have never Googled Ted Bundy, George Bush, please do it and then tell me that they weren't switched and that the real murderer of all of those <laughs> women and girls was George Bush, who became the president, who you now all love for some reason. <laughs> all your new oh, best my. friend, who's really Ted Bundy. And Ted Bundy was yeah. just an innocent, but terrible, white Republican man. Yeah. Anyway, that is, it remains a mystery. Um <laughs> but anyway, this was a very interesting episode. And then just to close it in kind of the way we began um, to bring it back down to reality, just wanted to mention one more thing about 
yesterday what happened, you know, I think this is obviously a common perspective, but just to continue to remember as, you know, particularly as white people, just to not, not that the guilty verdict wasn't, um, what should have happened and needed to happen that we can't feel, um, relief in the fact that, that, that happened, that justice was in a way, you know, served, I guess, but that, um, it's so pathetic that we have to be so waiting on such, you know, standing on pins and needles about whether or not that will happen. That someone who everyone saw brutally, viciously murder, as we see police in this country, brutally, viciously murder people of color, black and brown people all the time, um, that we have to be like, oh, wow, he, you know, will he be convicted? It's, that is, to me, so sad and so pathetic and so sick and just um, an even greater reminder of how much work we have to do as a country and as a civilization to um, to move past this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, just something I wanted to put out there. Yeah. Um, I think that I'm going to try to focus on personally doing some work with uh, incarcerated people in Indianapolis. And I think that's a, you know, it's a way that I can actually like reach out and touch someone. Well, not actually touch them, but, um, you know, you can, there's lots of programs out there. I think it's a good idea if you're not incredibly familiar with to familiarize yourself with just how the incarceration in this country is so messed up and so very horrible and so just like crushing to the human spirit um and there are multiple resources where you can you know even something as small as like donate to a bail fund but there's also um dollar bail which i did in new york but um essentially you they, they're all over the country but because of the dollar bail thing which isn't in every state but in a lot of states they'll hold someone for only a dollar but they're still not be able to actually pay for themselves to get out so you can as a lay person just they'll send you an email and they're like hey this person needs bail you go and you bail them out for one dollar it can take up to like eight hours like it can take your whole day it could take it just an hour it just depends so it's you have to have like the day off but that's something that you can do and there's also programs where you can uh, write letters to people in who have been incarcerated. So I think I'm going to start doing that. Uh, and you can also start to visit them or yes. at least video visit them. Just like having contact with humans really helps people that have been locked up. Totally. And Agreed. I that's mean, just something. Yeah. The... That's something that I think I can try to do. Agreed. I don't have a lot of extra cash right now. And honestly, this feels more impactful than just like, giving a couple bucks to something. I don't know. It's taking your whatever time. works. I'm going to take this opportunity since we're talking about this to give a shout out to a foundation that was um, started by a nonprofit that was started by a friend of my family's and a person who's very special to me, Serena Liguri. It's called new hour for women and uh, women and girls or new hour for women. If you just search that, you'll find it. Um, and they help women who are currently in the carceral system and who have recently or not recently been released from the carceral system to get back on their feet to provide them with the resources they might need. Um, an incredible not-for-profit. And you can also to just do 
a little crossover. Um, we interview Serena and talk all about the carceral system and the lasting effects and impacts of our carceral system in this country um, on what perpetuates violence, racism, police violence. I mean, as long as we are like continuing to feel that we need to lock up certain people in this country, black, namely black and brown people, um, and continue to make those people seem as though they are criminals. It's gonna, you know what I mean? The police force, it's a terrible, horrible, vicious, disgusting cycle. And like you said, Nicole, like, uh, baseline educating yourself about things like, you know, prison abolition and about different ways you can get involved on a more personal level. Letter writing is amazing. Bail funds are amazing. Um, and just, you know, I think that like there's a lot of things in this past year, particularly that have been, you know, tossed around different phrases that we might not be familiar with, um, myself included, you know, everybody learns new things at some point. And so just familiarizing yourself with what certain things mean and why. And and also in the theme of today's episode, tracing it back to the top. Like where do these things come from? You know what I mean? Who's benefiting yeah. from these systems being in place, from privatized prisons, from crime bills that uh, certain presidents were responsible for writing earlier in their career. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. Like the guy who you all were so excited to vote for for president. You know, his his direct responsibility for what happens to be going on right now. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> no problem. You know, you love him. Grandpa Joe, the guy who wrote the 94 crime bill. Um, anyway, but yeah, I mean, thanks for uh, Nicole prompting us to um, address some of this stuff. You know, I mean, it's hard to know. I think, I don't know. I mean, when to talk about things, when to not talk about things when to be like a source of like respite and relief but I think it's important to like address things that matter and that are happening so I'm glad that we got a chance to talk about this stuff yeah it just feels particularly hard yeah right now yeah it is and also just like on a personal note like you know it does feel a bit like being in a bubble sometimes in New York and I know that there's a lot of tension around mass shootings and much else of the country. And of course, it could also, God forbid, happen in New York. But um, I just wanted to send a big hug to you and to all our listeners listening outside of New York, the New York City bubble that this is a really awful reality. And it's very, very scary. And I'm really sorry all that stuff happened so close to you. It must feel um, really disorienting and scary. And I want to send you some love to your whole community and family. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Um, all right, guys. Well, let us know if you have any un favorite unsolved mysteries. If you tell us <laughs> that you do, we'll know you listen to the show to the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just call into the show during our call-in episode next week. <laughs> yes, that we'll be opening the phone lines up. Um, 1-800-UNSOLVED-MYSTERIES. You know what's an unsolved mystery that someone asked me about the other day? They're like, "How? what happened to Breton? <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> like, what, they're like, what happened to Breton? Why did he leave the show? Um, I'm like, oh, he just I'm like, I think he's fine. No, he's, he's amazing. I was like, he just has like other oh, interests. Wait. He was busy with work, you know, whatever. But it was just funny to me as though that is actually an unsolved mystery within our very own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are currently investigating that right now. So we don't have any answers for you today but we will get <laughs> searching answers. for Breton. well in case you guys want to solve the mystery we're still very good friends and just hung out with him the other night and uh got very drunk and stoned it was very fun <laughs> you guys did pot we did oh pot together it was 
very silly. Um, okay, that's it. Amanda's probably screaming at us to get off. Sorry, Amanda, <laughs> we love you. And uh, to all of you sweet babes out there, hasta la pasta. Bye. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. <laughs>